Hello and welcome to the Fitness Unfiltered podcast. I have my two co-hosts with me, Mike and Dan. How are you, Mike? Fine, thank you. How are you, Dan? I'm pretty fine, thank you. And we have an amazing guest with us today. And I am going to let you introduce yourself because... (laughs) Because we met on another sort of like a roundtable discussion. And some of the things you were saying, I was just like, we need to get you on to talk about this on our podcast. Fitness industry needs to hear this. So if you would do a little brief introduction of yourself, that would be amazing. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, my name is Dr. Catherine Nisco, and I love helping people develop kick-ass confidence. So are we allowed to swear? Yeah, do oh, what you want. Yeah, it's unfiltered. Because the, the Bronx in me definitely comes out when I get passionate. So I just need to warn you. It's like literally definitely 18 plus for this. And so what, sorry to or, like interrupt you already, but what brought you to Australia? Oh, well, how long do I have to tell you this story? Basically, a scholarship brought me out here. That's the very short, short side of it. It was either here or northern France. And I was like, you know, cold. I've already lived in France. And then I was like, hot guys and beaches in Australia. I'm like, might. Definitely. <laughs> like, I just want to perv on hot guys. So obviously I came here. And yes, the school was good and blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, it sort of got, got me over here. I had done my, my undergrad, I'd done my bachelor's and my master's. And after every degree, I was like, I'm never fucking doing that again. That was the worst experience ever. And after my master's degree, I started working at this like real estate company because I was like, screw research, screw brain and learning and this and that. I just want to make money. And so I started working for this real estate company, but it was just like my brain literally was just rotting. And then the boss made a path, like a disgusting pass at me. He was like, let's go away on a conference, but like to save money, we'll, we'll share a room. And I literally vomited in my mouth and I quit. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just like roll the dice and see if I can get another scholarship because I was on scholarship for my master's. And then literally the scholarship came up, everything was paid for, my healthcare was paid for. So I'm like, sweet, and came to birth. Amazing. And the rest is, is kind of history. Yeah. Oh, well, if that's amazing story, whoo. <laughs> Just oh, wait. Get into it. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So, sorry, I completely interrupted you. All you said was like your name, and then I was like, ooh. So, oh, well, introduction. like you do, because I think your job is amazing. I, I have a lot of fun. I love, I mean, the main thing that I do is I kind of nudge people out of their comfort zone, which is such a cliche saying. And I, like literally saying that makes me want to vomit it in my mouth. But it's the kind of thing when it comes to confidence, people have to realize that confidence is doing something even though you don't know the outcome. And that to me is what out of the comfort zone is. Like it's, it's this like term like purpose and resilience and empathy. It's all this kind of like terms that are thrown around, but really no one is really doing anything to back them up. So for me, confidence is about action. And sometimes it means not taking action. So, I mean, the protests that we're looking at right now, you know, not taking action, taking action, like that's, confidence is very complicated in that way. But at the end of the day, when it comes to your daily life, it's about taking more action rather than just sitting back and kind of like watching your movie of your own life being directed for you. So it's understanding why people either do or don't take the actions that they do. Typically, it's because they've been, you know, their neural connections have been forged over years of, you know, trauma or hardship or whatever. And it's like, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, you just do what you do because that's what you've always done. And then what I tried to do is get them to brush their teeth with their left hand. And they really have to think about it. And they're like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. And then they just want to revert back to their right hand. But I want to be that little midget Canadian and say, nah, you know, it's so much better if you like, you know, do shit differently. Yeah. So, um, do you, Would you agree that people often see confidence is like an innate thing like oh you are a confident person it's a shame because I didn't have confidence almost like something they can't change yeah so that it's 
interesting that they're actually looking for a confidence gene and they haven't found a confidence gene, but what they're finding in rhesus monkeys is that there's a gene associated with serotonin, which we know is associated with mood, personality, and so forth. And what they found is that uh, depending on the length of the alleles, alleles of the chromosome, it really dictates the kind of personality a person has. So they know that some rhesus monkeys with a certain type of too short, basically alleys, are very reserved. They always stick by their mom. They don't really play with the other monkeys and stuff like this. A monkey with a short and a long one is typically a bit more like easygoing and this and that than the ones with the two alley, long alleys are the ones like their shit doesn't stink and they're like playing and they're boisterous and this and that. So the question is, you know, are you born with a lack of confidence or not, there's still a question mark because what they also have found within these studies is that if if you can nurture one of these monkeys, so it's the nature versus nurture thing, can you change confidence? My thing is yes, because I used to be shit scared of everything and now I couldn't give a fuck about anything, you know, and that's, that's really practice. And it's about almost talking back to that inner bully and saying, nah, 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 nah. You ruled my world for so long, and now I'm going to talk back to you like Beyonce, get the finger out, and really change the way you do things. So I don't know if that, like the question is, I don't know yet if we're born with confidence or not, but I do know that you can change it. Yeah. I, and I'm going to butcher this, but you might know more about it. I'm sure I read something, and it was about a virus, and I think it came from cat poop. I might be like, does this ring any bells? But basically it increased your risk taking. So people who had this virus took more risks and they found that, I think they looked at like Harvard Business School and they found that it was a much higher percentage of people who were carrying this virus than like the general population. And they're more- But like it's, and it's like a permanent virus. This was a parasite, wasn't it? Yeah, apparently all it has is like- Is it a parasite? Maybe virus is the wrong word, but it's like, I'm pretty sure it was a virus, but it doesn't really have any effects on you. Hmm. Wow. They, they, there seems to be a bit of an effect on risk-taking. I know that there's one, uh, there's a bacterial strain, which I'm fascinated, anything to do with poo and farting is fascinating to me because <laughs> in 10 years, people are going to, like, literally, if I could invest in anything, it would be bacteria. Because the potential for psychobiotics, i.e. using specific bacterial strains to change not only a person's mental health, but also their physical health, I think is tremendous. I think it's still very in its embryonic stages. And people who talk about bacteria to to help people, I think, are still looked at kind of like crazy Mm -hmm. people. But there is a bacterial strain that when they splice it either in or out of mice, genetically um, uh, sterile, not sterile, mice, uh, genetically, what's the word for it? You know, when they have no bacteria, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, they basically put this bacteria in and the mouse was no longer scared of cats. So basically, yeah, so this was similar to to this. So they did yeah, this as well. so it's like they they had so much risk taking activity. Yeah, yeah, based on the bacterial strain, which again brings me back to the serotonin gene and so forth. Which essentially, if we now know that the gut has such such an impact on your mood and your personality, the question is, it are genes turned off and on because of different bacterial mixes but then you have to look at okay what do you eat as a child what were you exposed to as a child and is that what is going to turn a gene on and off to increase or decrease your your confidence with fecal transplants isn't there now with depression cases yeah i've done it oh you have Yep. I know so, that's very much in its infancy. Much of it hasn't been published yet, but they are they're doing it. I know they're doing it in the UK all over at the moment. Absolutely. It's it's incredible. So because of and this sort of relates to how I was sick last weekend. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I never know how I'm gonna feel. And this is because of years of diets, years of eating disorders, years of just absolutely killing my body that now I'm sort of unfortunately when you get old, things just don't work as well. And because of that- about barely old, but I'll let you continue. Older. <laughs> so about 
six, seven years ago, I was still training quite a bit and I just kept on getting sick quite a bit and just constantly sick, even though I was eating well, you know, exercising, et cetera, et cetera. Extremely long, long story short, we couldn't find out what was happening, but I noticed that my digestive abilities just got less and less and less, you know, did the whole, you know, uh, tests and chemical tests and allergy tests and so forth. Very, very, very long story short, my, my last attempt to try to figure out whether it was something within the GI tract was I went to Melbourne, spent $11,000 to do two weeks worth of fecal matter transplants. Like it was, it was crazy. Now the interesting thing now for the, for those people listening, if you don't know what a fecal matter transplant is, essentially it's re, as I like to say, repopulating or repopulating your gut with a new mix of bacteria. It's not necessarily good or bad bacteria. It's just a different mix. And what happened over those two weeks is I was able to eat everything. Like right now I can't have any sort of fiber. If I have, I can't have too many vegetables. My, my diet's basically oatmeal, white potatoes, white bread, pasta. It's basically no fiber whatsoever. As soon as I have too much fiber, it's literally the shit hits the fan, no pun intended. <laughs> so um, when I was having these transplants, it was amazing because it was like spinach and like I was hummus. I was basically bathing in hummus and fiber and everything. It was like heaven. I was binging on vegetables. As soon as I stopped it, everything literally started coming through again, if you know what I mean. So then also because of the cost of it, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to prepare the shit myself. Like literally. So my best friend is like the epitome of health. She is just amazing. So I got her tested through my GP and I actually made poo pills myself. And I started experimenting by eating poo pills. I shit you not. But um, boom. <laughs> this is amazing. Right. So, so like, what does that tell? Like, in a about how, you, I wish I could, I should take poo. a picture of your face right now. Everyone's like, I, I just, just, for, just to clarify. So in a roundabout way, you've eaten your friend's poo. Yep. Yep. Okay. I understand. Yep. And it's funny because the first time I did it, I, I, I had just one pill and then I drank some milk and then I burped <laughs> and I was like, and I burped in her face and I was like, do I smell like you? <laughs> this is so bad. You're going to have to edit this stuff out. Absolutely. We never edit. Oh. Never. What, so Everyone, oh my just, God. Look I, at Mike. Mike is traumatized. He's Mike like my best be friend. Okay He's a GP. You should talk about people. Just, no. No. It's just because we were like, okay, so we're going to do this podcast on like, confidence and you know motivation and stuff and then like literally within five minutes it's gone down the drain literally mike's down thinking the about prescribing poo pills right now and how many people he can prescribe I mean, them I, to. i'm telling you that in 10 years people are going to be literally eating well clean poo but bacteria anyway i don't even know how we got on this but the fact of the Wait, matter is with did that work it didn't. It didn't. Oh. And that's the problem. And I followed a protocol from Calgary, Canada, like to a T and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't have the perfect lab and I don't have like, you know, the centrifuges and so forth. But, but I think when it comes to that, whenever I have bad stomach or GI stuff, that's when my depression hits. That's when I feel horrible. My blood pressure goes down like crazy. Um, I think that this then, is... Yeah. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say, like, I think that this is what is so challenging about things like, like the gut microbiome is a huge area of research at the moment. It's hugely important. And we know that it has massive impacts on things. So we know that the idea of things like fecal transplants and stuff have the potential to have huge benefits. And I think what makes it so tricky at the moment is that we know so little now, but in maybe 10 years time, we're going to know a lot. So, so the difficulty is what you've got is a lot of people who recognize that by using that tiny bit of knowledge that we've got and perhaps extrapolating it into different ways, there are huge ways of making money. There are huge ways of potentially exploiting the information that we already have. And so you've got a lot of people selling a lot of treatments that we, we don't know whether they work yet. And that's what makes it so tricky. So it's actually really useful to have, you know, talking about that experience, the fact that, you know, you extrapolated that experience to go, okay, well, this helped. So I'll try this. And it didn't work. 
and also mm -hmm. the idea that it's not just necessarily like a one-off um, fecal transplant thing, it's, it's ongoing treatment. And so the implications of that are that it's not just a case of, oh, well, how easy is that? Just transport someone's poo into your colon and then you're cured of all of your diseases for the rest of your life. Again, not that simple. In the same way as saying, you know, taking a medication for a week isn't going to cure you of your of your chronic illness. And that's it, it's super interesting because what we have at the moment is this idea that the gut microbiome is a magic cure for everything. And actually mm. it, it is in some ways, but that doesn't mean you can actually fix it. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of the research is really focusing on fixing infections of C. difficile, which is, yeah. I can't remember what strain like family that's in, but I didn't have that. So I checked of all the infections and so forth. So this was roll of the dice, but I was willing to take it because after, you know, trying all this medication and so forth, and also just because of the effects that it had on my mental health, and that's why when it comes to confidence, it's so challenging when someone says, you know, I would love to build confidence. Well, that's kind of like losing weight. You know, why do you want to lose weight? You know, what, what is your genetic background? What is, what is your lifestyle like? Are you under high stress? Are you, you know, do you have a lot of time? Do you not have a lot of time? And like it's people are looking for these brush stroke solutions and we're really just pushing the idea that everyone has this individual D DNA, both from a psychological and sociological and, and biological perspective. You know, and everything I'd, needs to be tailored. I'd really like to get your thoughts, Catherine, because there is, I think the terms are used interchangeably, but self-esteem and mm. self-confidence are two different things. And, you know, in, in our, like the fitness industry, we have a lot of people that come to us that want to work on their perceived self-confidence, but actually it can be a self-esteem issue. Yeah. What, what yeah. is the main difference in your opinion? Yeah, there's a guy, there's a researcher out of Ohio State University, his name's Dr. Richard Petty, and he explains this really well. So let's say you ask someone, do you think you're a good person? And the person says, yes. And then you say, are you sure about that? And they're like, oh, no, no, I'm not sure. This person has high self-esteem, but low confidence because they're not sure that they're a good person. So yes, I'm a good person, but I'm not really sure. And the opposite could be true as well. You could go up to a person and say, are you a good person? And they're like, no, I'm actually like, I'm a dickhead. And then you can say, oh, are you sure about that? Absolutely. So again, <laughs> this person, low self-esteem, but high confidence. Um, and while that is the more research-based definition, confidence really has to do with, are you sure? You know, is it when you're making a decision making, do you know you want to do that or not? Like when you walk into a gym, like a lot of my clients, they just want to walk into a gym with spandex on, like with like fierce leather lycra on. Are you sure you want to do that? Do you walk in like this? or like with you know, your head bowed, or do you walk in with your head up? That's confidence because it has to do with action. Self-esteem is at the end of the day, it's kind of like when you go to the pearly white gates, do you think you're a good person? Answer the question, like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard also because if you throw in, am I conceited into that? That makes it really difficult because when's the last time that you heard or saw a person saying, you know what, I think I'm a really nice person and I really like myself, like bull to the shit. Like we never hear that, right? Because you're so scared. Okay, other than Mike here, <laughs> it's like, yo, no, I'm the shit. But that's the thing, you're, you're so scared of being like, like traumatized, especially with social media, you know? Mm. And then that goes into social media, like, it's like smoke and mirrors. Social media is just like this big smoke and mirrors. It's like this big, just Hollywood game. Yeah, because the there are performers and I'd liken it to actors, I guess. So we hear about these actors that seemingly have this amazing self-confidence. They, you know, they get on the screen in front of arguably millions of people are going to see their movies, but then you hear about them with self-esteem issues and they're really troubled individuals. They have mental health problems. It's, yeah, it's, it's a conundrum. And I think when people especially with body shape as well, as they liken this confidence to a persona, to a body shape. They think people like that deep down. And we see the show reel that is social media. Um, so within that, I mean, do you, do you think that has a big impact social media on people's confidence? 
It does because I think it gets complicated because then you're throwing in money. The fact of the matter is, is if you're scrolling through your feed and you got like a tight ass chick and guy like who's super hot and this and that, your physiology will make you want to stop and look at beautiful people. We are attracted to and stimulated by beauty. It's, it's wired in us. Is this right? Absolutely not. But it's just how we are wired. When we look at paintings, for example, when you look at symmetry, when you look at you know, beautiful landscapes, we, we are stimulated by that. So because of that, you have a potential to, if you got a hot bod and a beautiful face, you have the potential to make money. And as soon as you throw money into the mix, that's when things get very, very complicated. Because if you have a person that even if they're crumbling on the inside, if they look hot on the outside and they have the ability to make money, they will. Then you have the other side. Like let's you have a person who is quote unquote normal as in they don't have like the rich pack and the smooth skin and like they basically are like everyone, they're not going to make money. It's, it, that's, that's the problem with body image and social ideals is that we're trying to do this bottom-up approach to change. And as until people at the top say, you know what, we've made enough money by, by raping people, by putting, putting their self-esteem through, like degrading their self-esteem, it's always going to be a problem. Does that make sense? Like when people can make money off people's insecurities, they will continue to. Yeah. Yeah. We and that's that a challenge. Like it links really nicely to something you said when we were on that round table, which I was just like, this needs to be heard. And, mm. and I think you were talking about when you previously had an eating disorder and the fact that it was so hard to change because you were almost encouraged to be that way. Or like everyone was like, yes, you look great. You look amazing. You, you're, you had a modeling contract. You got paid to be like this. Yeah. That becomes very hard to then think, what are the benefits of me actually getting treatment and getting better? A hundred percent. And that's, that's a challenging thing. Do you want to do the right thing and instigate this bottom up change to say, actually, I'm not going to be part of this like mass market thing, but then you're giving up the money and the contracts and the external validation, or do you stay that, that person that you're walking on a tightrope, you know, balancing between poached friggin' air and chicken all the time and having no life whatsoever, but you're showered in all this love and adoration and cash. So the difficulty right now is that we don't really have this beautiful gray area. It's either you're super hot and making a lot of money or you're the pawn at the bottom. And, and this might seem really harsh, but that's the truth. And no one that's why everyone that's why everyone aspires to to those things isn't it everyone is everyone 100%. looks at these people and just goes i need to do whatever it takes to have a six pack or to have like perfect eyebrows or lips or whatever and and that's why that's why in so many ways that like nobody you can't demonstrate an education quite so easily on things like Instagram and stuff like that. So nobody's going, Oh, I really want to be really intelligent and be able to speak about stuff and to be able to write about things and to be able to learn about things. I just want to have a six pack and look amazing. But then that's yeah. been like, is it different? Because actually, is it just been like that all the time? And just instead of having magazines that you would see periodically, and TV shows that you would see periodically, we're now just having the same stuff, but it's right in our faces on our phones all the time. Is that, is that the difference or is there, do you think there's actually been an even bigger focus on appearance and stuff? I think it's actually, this is gonna sound crazy, but I think it's actually improving. That's a weird thing with social media. I think there's, there's a lot of good to come out of it. I think we, we hit this sort of zenith where it was just like, this is crazy too much. And I think people are starting to realize there's more to a person than their image. Yeah. And perhaps maybe that's a Canadian me always looking for the positive, but I truly do think it's actually getting better. The difficulty is, is that I think we're not learning from history and that's, that's the same with the black lives movement. I mean, you know, this has happened over and over and over again. And we're just these people going, whoops, that happened again. And it's the same with the body ideals. It's like, mm. 
we're seeing rampant rates of anorexia, orthorexia, et cetera, et cetera. And we're like, oh, let's just keep on pumping out the advertisements for this and that. But it's really, really hard because what if you're a person that just really wants to have the six pack and eat well and this and that? Mm-hmm. And you can't win. You're like, yeah. I just want to, this is what I want. And, and as a top down thing, because that's a really hard sell, isn't it? As you said, if, if you're getting all that external validation, you're getting that cash, you've got yeah. however many followers, that's a really hard thing to get. So what, I guess, what gave you the confidence to make a stand and actually realize that wasn't perhaps the most helpful way of living at that time? I, ju- I just felt like a fraud. And I just want to emphasize, this isn't, I'm not saying that people who are in the personal training or health or all that industries are fraud. That's by no means what I'm saying. I just, for, for me, what I had come through, I had felt like a fraud to continue to say, hey, look at me, buy my shit so you can look like me and then you'll be happy. That's why I felt like a fraud. Um, and for me, it was making the decision, okay, I can continue to make a lot of money through this or I can sleep at night and make a shitload less money. Because let me tell you, confidence and building brain power and stuff like that does not make money, but it feels friggin' awesome to help people do. So it's this, it's as, as my partner always laughs at me, he says, I want to save the world and he wants to buy it. So I think you gotta, you gotta find someone to work with so you can pay your bills, that kind of thing. But it's, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And I don't have all the answers. And I don't think that there is, you know, do this, do that, and then you will be an angel or the devil. I think there is this, it's complex. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's very complex. No, no, I was just going to say, like, much like we discussed on that roundtable, you know, it's a behavior change that has to come from some sort of self-awareness, some sort of something from inside to, you know, make you want to change because you can't tell the people at the top this stuff because, as you said, it makes money. And unfortunately, money does make the world go round to a certain degree. I'll give you a perfect example of this. I was at this conference and this person that I shall not name was uh, speaking and she was making a t- of money selling tea that basically makes you smaller. I'll end it with that. So she was like, it was business and like, this is what I did. I'm making a lot of money and this and that. And, da, da, da. and so I'm sitting there like trying to hold back the Bronx in me, like, because I just wanted to jump up and my finger was coming out, but I was like, no, sister, I'm going to hold back. And then I asked what I thought was a very, very kosher question at the end. I just said, listen, we now know through research that products such as these are directly correlated with high incidence of eating disorders and negative body image. Are you thinking of pivoting somewhat because of this? Her answer was, she was fumbling, fumbling, fumbling. And then she said, well, I want to see anyone here give up making $5 million a month which exactly proves my point that when you're making that money, not much money. And what I didn't want to, I wanted to say back to her, but I, I felt like I was going to be killed <laughs> is I, I know one person that would do that because I have a client whose daughter is now dead because she started on that tea and now she's dead. So I can tell you she would give up $5 million to have her daughter back. And it was interesting that after that, I was at the airport and I was chatting to someone from the conference and she was, and this woman's like, who was that bitch that asked that question to the thing? And I was like, actually, that was me. And we had a good conversation. I would have been like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, no, I I was totally like, yeah, that was me. And because the thing is, that's confidence. That saying, yes, that would me, but I, and I specifically said to her, I would love to know your opinion on this. I want to learn from you. What is your perspective on that? And that's where the world is going wrong. We just think we're right. You're wrong. That's it. I feel and like, I think- and I guess this is a positive, but within the like small fitness industry of the UK sort of thing, we are getting, and maybe it's my circle that I surround myself with, but we seem to be getting better at like calling out the bullshit and kind of helping people find their way and not fall for these things. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is 
like especially with social media and this this is like on a smaller scale I guess but the people who you think are making a lot of money who are like look amazing are doing all these shows abs out whatever they're not like Mm -hmm. they, they might have 20 times more followers than you but it doesn't mean they have 20 times more clients like and I do think it really pays off long term to be putting out good consistent information like just in my field like if you're looking for online coaching I don't think people particularly go to people who just look amazing now. I think they're like, I learned something from you. You know, I like your approach, you seem approachable, you seem like you understand what you're doing. That's why I want to work with you. And I hope, like, this might be a very, like, naive, hopeful approach, but I hope that that's the way it's going. To me, it seems like it is. And that's what I was saying before, that social media, I think, is improving exactly that. I really do. And I think that... That what I think that what it speaks to the difference between is the people who haven't experienced themselves and then inflict their experience on everybody else, like who get in really good shape, so therefore think they must be a really good personal trainer, or mm. who um, sell a detox tea and make loads of money, so tell everyone else or, they should be selling detox tea, or eat shit and tell or everyone that poop. it's going to work. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. like, and, and the difference between that and people who are actually who understand who have a deeper understanding and an education in the process and who want to teach people because of that understanding. And I think that that's another really important thing because I saw um, I saw a discussion actually recently about people were talking about six packs and, 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 and basically a very, very famous trainer was basically saying about how he doesn't have a six pack, it's not worth his time, et cetera. And then somebody who's a famous doctor was saying, well, I have a six pack all year round with minimal effort. And, and the point is that we always have to be mindful that for some people, having a six pack and being in really amazing shape is actually a lot easier than it is for other people. And I think that's the thing that people don't really realize. So when people want to obtain these ideals, they think, well, he, that person does it, that person does it. Why, like, I must be able to do it without completely losing my mental health. So I'm gonna do it. Whereas it's okay to realize actually, you have to find that intersection between your physical health and your mental health and to go, right, this is, this is a healthy weight for me from a mental health point of view and a physical health point of view, rather than just focusing on, on one or the other. But also, I think people find it very difficult to be objective about those things. And that's why having good coaching and having somebody who understands those things and who can go, okay, this is great. You're losing loads of weight. This is fantastic. But I've picked up on, a, on some behaviors that you're doing that are a little bit concerning for me. So I think we need to pull back rather than going, we need to achieve this at, at all costs. I did it. So you must be able to, you know, like, and I think that's a, that's a massive thing. Absolutely. You need someone to, it's like a bullshit meter. And, and when you're in that zone, it's very hard to sort of, you, you can't fix the mindset with the same mindset that got you into that spot. Yes. So, and, and also with the abs thing, the funny thing is I'm that person that always has the abs. And then after much sort of research, it's because of my digestive problems. So my vagus nerve is constantly stimulated. Like it, all the all the uh, nerves are constantly stimulated. So I'm like having that, what is it, that Dr. Ho? It's like that Dr. Ho always like going on my abs. And that's why, and I found that out because I have back problems. I went to a um, physiotherapist and he actually, it sounds crazy, but he tickled my back. And I was like, whoa, I just spazzed out. And he said to me, do you have digestive problems? And I said, yeah, I have really bad ones. Anyway, so this weird thing that it's funny that a person with abs is actually super, super sick. And that's the weird thing is that what you see is not always what you get. And I remember about a year ago, uh, probably about actually two years ago now, my weight dropped tremendously. I was another 10 kilos lighter than I'm now. So uh, my stepdaughter hugged me at one point. She said, like, I love you, but you're all skin and bones. And that's sort of, that's a whole story. But I posted a picture of myself like in the beach with her. And everyone's like, wow, you look so hot and this and that. I was like, I'm literally shitting my pants seven times a day and you think I look hot. I'm like, do you want to see what came out of my asshole about like five minutes ago? This is not hot. This is not a hot way to live. If you want this, take it and I will take your digestive system. Sorry, that was a bit crude, but this is, this is the point I'm making 
is that what you see is never what you get. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Well, we see lots in, in, in fitness, those that appear to look their best often have the most unhealthy relationships with food, unhealthy mm-hmm. practices they've brought into unhealthy behaviors. But it's such a contradictory thing because it's almost for those people, and I certainly find maybe my echo chamber maybe as people have got a little bit older, but those that are now positioned as authorities that people do recognize the valuable information that they put out, they have got there to a certain degree because of something aesthetic related earlier on in their career. And I was trying to think of this. There's very few examples of people with just a total no bullshits approach that haven't looked amazing at some point for people to buy into them. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not going to name names, but there's pretty much one in the industry I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that gets back to what I was saying before is that I, I truly believe that we are wired to trust people that are beautiful. Mm. So like, let's say, let's say you walk into like the gap. I don't even know if the gap still exists and you have two salespeople. You have one that looks like, like, I don't know, like an ogre or something like that, or, you know, that's that. And then you have one that's like a supermodel with like, just comes like with the tits, the ass, the everything like that. Who the hell are you going to buy from? Well, let me tell you. Because I find really attractive people intimidating. I, I, see, I. What are you saying? Are you intimidated (laughs) right now, Emma? Yeah. Everyone's too attractive. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, see that like the consultant person in me is like, Ooh, I would love to investigate that further. Yeah. So, yeah. What does I mean, psychoanalyze Emma right now, please. Yeah, I really. So, what? Let, let's go into that. Why do you? Why do you get freaked out when there is beautiful, quote unquote, people around you? I don't know if I get freaked out, but like, I do feel more intimidated if someone is like really good looking. But why? I don't do you know. Think- I don't think it's that I fancy them. I just think. I don't know. I'm, maybe I just think they've got their shit. Or maybe I'm like, you're so beautiful, you must be judging all of us who aren't as beautiful. So, but, okay, let's say they are judging you. Why would that matter? Yeah, I don't know. This, this is a slippery slope of confidence. It's amazing that you can be confident in one situation. Like, you know, on Friday night, you're getting ready to go out and this and that. you got the tunes on. You're doing like the mirror stuff and you're like, shit, I look good, man. And then you go out to a club and then there's like this hot ass girl and guy. And you're like, oh my God, I'm such a wanker. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's different situations. Like you think your shit doesn't stink until you look at someone else and you're like, ah. And that's the thief of joy and all that, yeah. Comparison, yeah. And there's different kinds of comparisons. There's upward comparisons and there's downward comparisons. So upward comparisons is, wow, Victoria's Secret model, you are the epitome of life. And then you walk past this homeless person and in your mind you're thinking, at least I'm not that. That's a downward comparison. So comparisons are not always equal in that way, but we have to be aware of them and how they influence us. But we, I think it comes back to this like hierarchy, right? I'm beautiful, therefore I'm better than you. And it's not like things are changing, but that's still in the back of our mind. We're thinking, okay, you're better than me, even though you just have different genes. Like it's like a roll of the dice. It's a genetic lottery that you look a certain way, that's it. And it's kind of what Mike was saying is like, what I try to do with young people is, is say, who are you following that's actually doing something? Okay, yeah, they might be pretty and stuff, but what do they do? Oh, they look great in that dress. Okay, what are they doing in that dress? You know, oh, they're really good at makeup. Okay, what are they doing with that makeup on? What are the actions that they're taking? And then sort of gets back to you, Dan, what you were saying is in regards to credibility, it's you, you want to get out of your own echo chamber and start to say, well, what is this person actually saying? And the challenge with social media is because it's so image based that people just scroll and they don't read. But again, I think that's changing. Yeah. Cause of things like social media, it is a, it is a image based platform, isn't it? It's just, you know, many of us have tried to turn it into personal blogs because we, we hope people read the captions, but actually it's a platform purely for images, isn't it? And, and you get hooked by the picture first, and then you read. And that's, that's, that's a challenging part of that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not on Twitter. 
I venture it every now and again, but then I soon remember why I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) I've never been, but, but that's the thing, you know, people are stimulated by images. It's, Mm. it's so hard. It is such, and that's, you know, I used to be more into body image and body confidence, but I sort of stepped back because the more I sort of looked into it, the more complicated it is. And also as, as a person who is a size X, you know, that I'm not on the upper side of that Gaussian distribution. I mean, I used to give talks on body confidence, but when you walk out on the stage, you know that 95% of the people looking at you are saying, what the fuck do you know, bitch? You're a size friggin' six. And again, it's that picture. I judge you because I see you and I've, I've sized you up. It's only until they hear me speak and understand that I've almost suicided three times because of my body image that they say, oh, wait, maybe we should listen to her. But even then, there's still judgment. Why would you do that when you look that certain way? And it's that's- funny like people, models who we look up to, like Victoria's Secret models, whatever, I'm going to say, like, probably have the worst body image issues. Like, not people who are overweight, or they might have their own, but, like, that's almost the epitome of it. Like, their whole job is looking a certain way. So when yeah. you start placing your self-worth, your income, like basically your whole life around how you look. No wonder that like you're putting so much on that and that you're so critical of yourself and that you have those issues. But the question is who's allowed to have body image issues then? Yeah. Like in, in this course that, well, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because one, one of the comparisons I make is that I have a picture of Miranda Keir, who's an Australian model, you know, Victoria's Secret and this and that. And then Ashley Graham, who's a plus size model. And I put the pictures side by side and I ask people, who's, who's allowed to be body confident? Who's allowed to love their body? Is, <laughs> sorry. Um, who's Very allowed to be, dog. yes. Sorry, someone's here. Sorry, another worker. Oh, sorry. Sorry, everyone. But, but the thing is, who's, who's allowed to say, I really like myself? If Miranda Keir would to say that, would she be a bitch? If she came out on the Victoria's Secret stage and said, man, I feel good today, everyone would be like, yeah. you. Yeah, we have similar with um, the, anti, the anti-diet and uh, the diet culture dynamic over here in which if you're in a smaller body, to talk about body positivity isn't as acceptable as if you're in a larger body. But again, so it's the whole judging a book by the covers and positioning them as an authority. And everybody is, is, is very, very focused on their own issues. And I think that's, that's half the problem. Uh, you know, you can't have it as bad as me because X, Y, and Z. And whether those are valid or not, it's really like, it's, it's such an individual and subjective experience that it's understandable that they, it's like, it's understandable that somebody in a larger body feels a little bit triggered or aggrieved by the fact that somebody in a smaller body is complaining about their body image. Like it's understandable that they feel like that, but that doesn't mean that they can translate that into stopping that person from having that experience or having that valid opinion or having that, um, that sort of valid situation. And I think it, we, again, talking about intersections like before, we have to find that intersection between allowing yourself to have a personal experience and also reading the room and accepting why sometimes your experience isn't the one that that matters at the moment. And I think like, like I've sort of had it a bit, and you know, again, to bring it back to kind of Black Lives Matter and and racism a little bit, like um, I, my my parents are Middle Eastern. I I grew up with a certain amount of racism, but a very, very small amount, a very manageable, I said quite a manageable amount of racism. Like, you know, I, I was never persecuted, but I had people make fun of things about me that wasn't fair. Should that happen? No, it shouldn't happen. It's not fair. Should I be able to say it wasn't fair that that happened? Of course I should. But that doesn't mean that when we're in the midst of a situation where people are being killed for the color of their skin, I need to pipe up and go, oh, but do you know what? Someone called me a name once, actually. So I, I understand this better than everyone else. You know, that's, that's the kind of behavior that I think, that's selfish behavior. That's kind of, sometimes you have to, you have to accept that, that the voice that different voices need to be heard at different times and different people need to hear voices at different times. And the more that we just kind of accept that and stand back and go, okay, cool. Rather than going, what about X, Y, and Z? 
yeah. that's when we when we start actually listening to each other i think couldn't agree more and you just summed up exactly the reason why i i took a step back from that because i i think other i i can learn more from other people than they can learn from me and i think that's more important when it comes when it comes to that you know and that's sort of what again what you're saying now is that sometimes we just need to shut up and listen yeah. rather than you know yeah. if your but mouth is open you're to- not listening Exactly. And we're not used to it because social media has given everyone a platform and has given everyone a voice. We've become very unaccustomed to not going, my personal experience of this is X, Y, and Z. My personal experience, I think this about this, you know, and, and, and that's, that's, I suppose, you know, we've got, we've, we've made that progress. Like on one hand, giving everybody a voice is great progress because it means that it's not just the size zero people on the cover of a magazine that get to talk about you know bodies and things like that it's not just the advertising executives it's not just the people who make tv shows that get to put the content out there it's everybody but the downside of it is that it's everybody again all the time yeah and it's kind of like saying oh it's society society uh, societal ideals Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we have to understand that when we say society that's us yeah Mm -hmm. so it's like this this culminating sort of judgment yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's quite empowering, I think, realizing it's not always about us and just stepping back and listening sometimes. Yeah. And mm. you know, with this movement, with many of these movements, it is just listening. You know, which is funny because as a conversation, I know none of us are seeing each other in person at the moment, but there's a distinct difference I find when you're having a conversation with someone, and you can actually see them absorbing the information and listening to someone who's just waiting for their opportunity to speak. And I'd almost liken that to social media sometimes. It's, you know, who can out victim who, who's had it worse, or who can talk about their situation the most when actually just stepping back and listening. That's what we just need to do sometimes. Yeah, and that's one of the suggestions I do when people have social anxiety. If you're, for example, I'm, I always think that I have a booger in my nose. That is like my main thing or something in my teeth. I don't know about you, but like, you know, when you're talking to someone and they just keep on looking down, and like, I know I have something in my teeth or a booger in my nose. And I notice that, then that's almost like a trigger to say, wait, I'm just focusing on myself and I'm not focusing on them. I shouldn't be caring about what I look like or what's in my teeth. I should be listening to them. And, and to me, that's a good way to get out of your own head and start to really, really listen, not just hear what the person is saying. Focus on them, not you. It, but fact of the matter is we're selfish. We want it to be all about us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's human. I think human nature is we think the world is here and we, you know, everyone's revolving around our world. It's and it's ironic. Like, we're on a podcast. <laughs> like we're saying, yeah. we're talking about shutting up and listening while we are recording a podcast of ourselves speaking, you know, like it's, uh, yeah. it's, even that is ironic in itself. Yeah. Other than us, other than us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> always other people. Exactly. So, so Catherine, what could we all do? to improve our self-confidence things we can Uh, action right now action well you can sign up to my my course that's that's an excellent that's my how does that work yeah so i actually just started this course um i'm piloting it right now and it's going fantastic it's an online live program so you have me annoying you pretty much every day Uh, the next cohort is going to be seven weeks where essentially you do educational videos um, but the main thing is, is that I have what's called the agents of confidence group. Uh, so everyone becomes an agent of confidence. And I sort of got that idea from Beyonce and Lady Gaga that they developed whatever persona they wanted to become. And through this, you actually become it. So we all have confidence missions every week. So every, every week I give like everyone a little mission. So it might be talking to a stranger. It might be leaving the house without makeup on it, You know, everyone has different ones. And basically at the end of the seven weeks, it culminates to a major mission, something that really scares the shit out of you taking action. So regardless, you can take this same principle and do it in your own life. Oftentimes, I guess the question is, do you want to live in the comfort zone or do you want to have courage? And they're binary. You can't develop courage while staying in the comfort zone. So you have to do something that you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you do it anyway. Number two, you don't internalize negative results. That, that's to me what confidence is, is doing something you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And when the shit hits the fan, you don't say, 
oh, I'm so stupid, I'm a failure and I'm never going to try that again. It's like, I'll, I'll remember years ago, I love doing chin-ups. I was always, because I'm midget, it's not really that difficult for me. So, um, and I remember I was always really, really embarrassed to do it in the middle of a gym because I just, it was, you know, that's that movement that everyone like stops and looks and this and that. And I remember just one day I said, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I ended up falling off the bar, like totally Winkerville and everything like that. But that's confidence. That's doing something that scares this crap out of you. And then I did it again. So asking everyone who's listening right now, asking yourself, what is that thing that you've said, no, I'll do it tomorrow or no, I'll do it if and when, like I'll ask out that guy, if and when I lose weight, I'll, you know, do, I'll ask for a promotion if and when I do this, that, like we're, we're all waiting. We're all waiting for the perfect conditions to do something and that just doesn't happen. That's what confidence is. And what's like a tip to, like, how do you not internalize that negative feedback or that negative result? Okay. So this is a very research-based term. It's called farting and I'll, I'll explain it now. <laughs> it's here. Like when I said, I love farting. So this is, oops, this is a story that happened when I was about 23, 24. Uh, this is when I was sort of going through from anorexia to binge eating. And I lived with my best friend at the time. And I just could like, this is when I was in the bowels of exams and this and that, and I was binge eating. And one day I just said, oh my God, Sasha, I, I binge eat with, whenever I'm really stressed. And I thought she was going to think, man, this girl is screwed up. And you know what she said back to me? Oh my God, I do it too. And it was kind of like, you know, when you're just dating someone and you both fart at the same time, you're like, oh, you did it too. I'm not like the only one. That's, that's the secret to resilience is you need to, what I call brain fart out your frustrations, your anger of it not going well. Farting or brain farting is something that I think is 99% of bouncing back from adversity. Because remember, if you, if you keep it inside your head, that shame monster, that inner bully is just going to repeatedly say, you see, you're not good at anything. You can't do anything. So by sharing that, sharing the secrets, that's what I think helps you get back up again. Awesome. Okay. One thing, one little topic before we wrap up, because I think this will be, or it was something you said that I thought was really useful and it struck like a chord with me. So it's about how, when you were coming through this eating disorder, it was someone believing that you could, that was like the main thing. And I was thinking that's so true for a lot of my clients. It's like, I have full belief that they can do it. I wouldn't take on anyone if I did not think they could mm. meet their goal. And it's, I guess it's about you having belief in them, but then them developing self-efficacy, which again is like often confused with confidence, but the belief that you can do a certain thing. And it could I I be- can, like, so I know I can, yep. Yeah. And it could be as simple as, I'm not talking about the belief that you can reach your goal necessarily, but it could be the belief and the trust in yourself that after dinner, you don't eat a whole thing of Pringles or mm -hmm. you can open them, have a couple and shut it. And the almost trusting yourself that you can do that. Yeah. That's a really like important key. I think I wonder if you could talk about yeah. that. The one thing that really helped me is not feeling like I've done something bad and for example, when I was binge eating a lot, I felt so much shame because I just felt like, God, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing my like PhD in health sciences and physiology. I know exactly what to do, but I'm not doing it. So you just feel like a complete dumbass, right? So to have someone say, you know what? Shit happens. You had a binge, you know, things happen, this and that. For me, having that, you know what, don't worry, I still love you. I still think that you're fine. And that's when I was actually still binging now and again, like this is years ago with my partner, I, I message him. And it's funny because he's actually losing weight. He's actually lost 10 kilos, which is very proud of him because he's like the whiskey and Croatian food, this and that business guy. 
And the other day, he just had a really crappy day at work. And I had already gone to bed. And at 12 o'clock at midnight, he messaged me, said, babe, I just had a binge. I had some salami and peppers and cheese. And that, that's getting it out and knowing that I'm still going to love them. Because I think in the back of our head, we just want everyone to like us. So we're so focused on being liked that we don't think about being respected. And we have to understand that the two kind of goes hand in hand when it comes to a coach. I respect you and yes, I like you too. And even though you've had an extra couple of Pringles or Pringles or whatever, I'm not going to get like, I think sometimes in your mind as a client, you're like, Oh my God, my therapist is going to drop me or my personal trainer. Oh my God, I've had like three pink Pringles. Like she's, she's going to like totally, she's like, I can't do anything with you. And you never think that, right? And and you as a therapist and like me as a personal trainer, that's what we're here for. Like the good check-ins are great. And it's like pat on the back, keep going. But the ones where you mess up are are obviously the ones that as a client, you don't want to write, you don't want to talk about, like you kind of just want to be like, oh, I forgot to check in. Oh, well. But those are the ones that matter. And those are the ones that like we can make a big difference with. But 100%, but you have to develop that trust. Yeah, absolutely. And trust is, okay, you tell me a bit about yourself. I'm going to tell you a bit about myself. And that's where it gets challenging because if you are this on this pedestal, like this amazing person, do you really want to admit, oh, actually I've had a bad day too to your client, but that's the thing that they're going to empathize with. Do you know, does that make sense? I think that it really depends on what type of, what type of coach you have like and that's where it becomes so important that you have somebody that actually understands that sort of behavior because <clears throat> i think i think genuinely some people don't and i think what what i find really fascinating is what happens to the relationship when you are called out in different ways and how that challenges your confidence but also challenges your reaction to it like so so in my very early days of um of personal training i, I remember having an experience where I was, I mean, at at this time, (laughs) I was definitely in very much in the throes of, I'd lost a lot of weight and I was, um, I was in, I was in that kind of cheap meal mentality. Mm. So I would eat clean all the time, but then I would eat bad stuff on the weekend. And at the time that, that kind of felt like it was working for me for whatever reason, but it was also... I had a trainer at the time who was very much of the mentality that you needed to eat clean all the time. So it was even like my trainer's mentality was even more extreme than that. So it was like, you need to eat clean all the time. Otherwise you cannot be healthy. Otherwise, you know, you're polluting your body and all of these sorts of things. So I remember one time I'd been away for the weekend and I'd been to this really amazing restaurant and I'd ended up having the most incredible burger I think I've ever had in my life. I still remember it really clearly. And then I, um, I had this amazing dessert, which was actually a deep fried Nutella and banana sandwich with um, blue banana ice cream and candy floss. So it made an incredible Instagram picture and it was like, it was visually stunning. Everything about it was perfect. And it was the most wonderful thing I think I'd ever tasted. And I was in with my personal trainer that week and I, like, I didn't even think it was a big deal at all. Like I was perfectly fine with the fact that I was eating that way because that was to me was absolutely fine and it you know in 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 many ways it wasn't fine but not for the reasons that he's not going to think it's fine but I remember he was like oh you know what have you been up to since we last week and I was like oh I went I went away this weekend like let me show you this this amazing dessert that I had like and I showed it to him and and he just hit the roof and he was like "I, I can't believe that anyone would would eat something like that you know you you can't expect to make progress and behave like that and you know all of this kind of proper you know, actually telling me off the kind of thing that you hear all of these clients being worried about. And it's, it does happen because some trainers have always lived that way and have, have never accepted the fact that it's a bit um, dysfunctional. And Mm. so then they do, they do put that on their clients. And it was interesting because my reaction was entirely one of defiance. I was like, yeah, I can. Like, I've got like, what do you mean I can't expect to make progress? And that's what I've been doing for the last two years. Like, you know, don't, don't tell me what I can do. And actually it's interesting that where like self-esteem and, com- and confidence come into that, because I think like what you were saying before is you can have 
this self-esteem without having the confidence. You can have an understanding, you can have this belief that what you're doing is right, but that doesn't mean that you feel confident enough to, um, to necessarily, I guess, own it and kind of like publicly sort of display it and talk about it because you're like, well, what will, what will that person think of me? What will they, what will they say is wrong about what I've done? That's it. And confidence is not always a good thing. And I don't want to, you know, name names, but Trump. Yeah. Good example. That is a guy who's very confident. Hitler. Hitler was very confident. Not good outcomes. So that gets back to what Dan regards to um, knowledge and education is in credibility and experience is for me, experience and knowledge is being able to look at both sides of the coin. How, what is my, what's best for my client? What's best from an empirical point of view, a research base of view or a clinical point of view. And you throw that all into a mix. And that's the difficulty with people that are just starting with these beautiful bodies who are like two years old and with these Instagram accounts is that they have a very one dimensional view you know, poach chicken and broccoli, exercise six, 6,000 times a week, you will look like me. And time and experience, you know, when things go wrong, when things go right, you put it into your mix, you know? And I think we can all say 10 years ago, compared to what we know now is a massive difference. And that's what we have to impart of our, our, on our clients is, is, is kind of like over time, they're going to learn more but working with you guys will speed up that process because you've already done all the mistakes, mm. right? So you can speed up their, their success rates because you know what to do and not do. Yeah, exactly. So that's the benefit of working with a coach. I would love to work. I would love to work with you. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm super compliant though. The dream client. Oh yeah. It would be so good. I don't exercise anymore. No. No, really. No. Is that something Not you initially had to force yourself to do? Because you said you, you were quite. It was hard. It was really hard. Well, what happened was I, I kept on getting more and more sick. And then this is, this, this is a perfect example of how smart people can be very stupid. My master's and my PhD was all to do with high intensity exercise and the endocrine response, a hormonal response to that. So adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think friggin' Brainiac over here puts two and two together? Nah, of course not. I was doing high intensity exercise and getting really, really sick. So I dove into the literature and there's something called the um, hypothalamic um, uh, exercise paradox, which is essentially, and it's like not really in the literature, but it's basically when you do high intensity exercise, it actually has a negative effect on your body. It makes you sick because of the stress response. And here I am, whenever I'm stressed, I, I'm pooping my pants and then I'm putting myself under stress through exercise. But in my mind, I'm like, exercise is good for me, right? So now, because I can't- just, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, was, no. Is that just high intensity exercise? Yeah, yeah. so what I started to do is, um, because I love high intensity. I love like hitting the shit out of stuff, throwing stuff. Like you think as a night, as Canadian, I'm nice. No, not in the gym. I like, like I'm, I'm an angry person. And then I was like, okay, I'll just pump the brakes and keep my heart rate down. But then I'm bored shitless, yeah. you know? So then I was like, screw you exercise. I'm not doing you at all. So now I just walk like a freaking old person. I think we're all guilty of that though. Sometimes knowing isn't the same as doing. We all know better in air quotations. It doesn't mean doing better. Totally. I'm really stupid when that comes to that stuff, but I miss it. I miss it. I miss like the pull-ups and I miss walking into the gym, like having the, you know, the beat going on and your head's bopping back and forth and you're getting into the, the, you know, you got that, like that vibe. It's a vibe, man. So I do miss it. It is a vibe. It is a vibe. Anyway, I think that is a brilliant place to stop. I think this has been an amazing podcast. I didn't expect. So many ways. 
The, oh yeah, Every, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off now, and you're gonna be like, "How can we delete this entire thing?" And you won't <laughs> know. Oh, I'm so no, sorry. we're gonna pu- we're gonna push push it forwards. We're gonna push the post out forwards. We're gonna get out <laughs> earlier. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! No, well, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for coming awesome. on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I hope that um, hopefully one day I can get over to the British Island. Are you guys all in the same spot? <laughs> what was that? British. <laughs> Okay, that was a bad, bad accent, wasn't it? Was it, it was Scottish? I don't know. I was just sort of, I was reaching there. I think it I was, there do... was a little bit of Braveheart in that, I think. Yeah. Oh, I can do Scottish. Great gobs of greasy gopher guts. That oh. was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I mean, not bad. A turtle head is poking out. <laughs> <laughs> Always the Austin Powers. I was going to say, we, yeah, we started with poo and we're finishing with poo. There we right. go. There we go. I feel like I can talk to you guys about anything. Man, oh, thank you definitely for your time. Can. That was amazing. If you want to find Dr. Catherine, where can they find you? And where could they Probably on the people? toilet. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Best place is um, Instagram, probably Dr. Underscore Catherine. And uh, yeah, just love doing stuff there. Normal pictures, sometimes not normal pictures, but um, yeah, love meeting new people. So I'd love to, to see people in my inbox. Awesome. Amazing. Guys, if you've enjoyed the episode, please do post it up. Tell us what you enjoyed. Tag us all in it. That'd be amazing. And we will have another podcast for you shortly. Is that the end? Oh, I'll stop recording. Sorry. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.